Welcome to Untangle, the podcast from Five Star App Meditation Studio. I'm Patricia Carpus, co-founder of Meditation Studio and your host on Untangle, along with my co-host, Ariel Garten, one of the founders of Muse, the brain-sensing headband that helps you meditate. Join us each week as we introduce you to authors, experts, and thought leaders who share their stories on how meditation, mindfulness, and brain-focused practices have the power to change our lives. Whether you're just learning to meditate or want to deepen your practice, Meditation Studio with hundreds of guided meditations and Muse, which gives you real-time feedback during your practice, are two awesome tools you'll want to have in your back pocket. Now, here's today's interview hosted by Ariel. This week, I'm live from the Omega Institute, where I'm the Hermitage resident, and I had the honor of hearing Stuart Fuchs play the ukulele. He's here teaching a course called Ukulele Zen, where he teaches you to find your Zen through this beautiful and simple instrument. Come, let's dive into Stuart's head and hear how his fingers help him get out of his mind. In Untangled interview, meditators, artists, people who are skilled in the mental arts, and we talk about their journeys in meditation. And I saw you last night, and I was just so blown away that I said, wow, I want to find out what's going on inside. Oh, thank you. I'm trying to figure out what's going on inside, too. Clearly. <laughs> or maybe I should say, uh, I'm really curious about continuing to watch what's going on inside. Yeah. <laughs> so I saw you play the ukulele. Like, I've never seen anyone play the ukulele before. Well, thank you. And I saw you marry it with a sensibility that is investigating your own internal process. And it was clear that music is a big part of your spiritual journey. It is. And it, and it always has been, even before the journey became more, before I became more consciously aware of it. Can you take us back to the beginning? Can you tell us a little bit about this journey? Sure. I should say before I begin, I do kibitz a lot, especially after I've been teaching for four days straight. But um, uh, to give it to you as straight as, and unkidding un- as possible, I'll just say that it began for me uh, my earliest memory in life, and I've tried to remember further back, but my earliest memory is sitting uh, in my living room, and my father comes home, and uh, my father was uh, an, an amateur classical guitarist, but I always say he was an amateur, <laughs> an amateur, you know, one who loves. And I remember watching him come home from work after a very stressful long day of working in the film industry in New York City and he came home and I remember thinking where did dad go he seemed like the air had been taken out of him Mm -hmm. he just was a little deflated and he wasn't his usual playful upbeat self but he would sit down after eating dinner sit down with his guitar and he would play one chord and he would just he was back smile was back and he would then begin to play um, a piece and my guitar is tucked away in a case far over there but uh, he would play a piece of music it's a very uh, famous Spanish ballad I could demonstrate it on my ukulele but the point of the story is is that I became fascinated with the guitar and and music in general because of that early experience of seeing the healing benefits on my father And I saw right away, and that made a really deep impression on me that music is something that's rejuvenative, 
something that we can turn to for wellness and to, um, to make ourselves whole again when we feel uh, disconnected from ourselves. And he taught me shortly after that, I might have been six years old, I would sit in his lap and he, he taught me how to push down the string against the fretboard. This is a ukulele, not a guitar, but it... And right away, I remember like it was this morning, the feeling of the vibrations going through my finger, into my wrist, into my elbow, down on the floor, through my feet. And it was really blissful. It really felt good. I remember laughing hysterically. <laughs> <laughs> so he taught me how to count up the frets and he patiently taught me how to play this melody. And we would eventually play it together. He would play the right hand. And we would just play this piece of music together. After those experiences, I started to get really curious about, because I always loved nature, I would take that same guitar into the woods. When he was at work, I would uh, uh, you know, come home and uh, take the guitar into the wilderness. And I had no uh, knowledge of what playing the guitar was or even interest in what you know, playing a song. I never had heard of any musicians, really. I just knew about my dad. Um, I listened to classical music records from their collection. I didn't know about the Beatles yet. <laughs> so I would sit in the woods and I'd just do this. I'd play one note. And I would listen to it as it dissolved into silence. And I remember feeling so calm. And I would listen to the rustling of the, the wind moving the trees side to side. And I would mimic those sounds on the instrument. And to kind of make this longer story a little shorter is that I, I had this experience early on that um, music, when we listen to one sound, when the mind is absorbed in the sound of the sound, the actual vibration of it, which we all have our own personal relationship with, of course, but when we are listening and not labeling as a good sound or a bad sound, or saying that that's an A natural played on the fourth string at the second fret, and just listening to it. When the mind is in that kind of receptivity, there's no room for any caption at all. You know, we're just listening. So what I love to teach more than anything, I say this at the beginning of the retreat every year, this isn't about learning to play well, although, I mean, that may be a relief. This is not about learning to play well or meeting any expectations, although we may um, learn a lot that will improve your playing. This is about learning to listen, and that's really what I like to teach, is to listen and to use the sound, which is of course exists only in the here and now for just a brief moment, this fleeting moment, and it dissolves. It goes out the under, underneath the door and out into the atmosphere, and it goes away. So I learned to appreciate every sound. So as often as I can, I pick up an instrument, <clears throat> and I treat each note like a mindfulness bell. That's one of the primary exercises we do, as well as learning a lot about harmony and melody and how to play. What I really love is to have, uh, give people tools of how their music making can be a window into stopping the mind's 
labeling, which can be very useful, of course. It's a very good tool. But uh, to experience music just as the vibration is, is a joy. So you're obviously using the language of mindfulness to talk about the experience of music. How did that merge for you? At what point did you understand that the process that you were undergoing sitting in the woods with this beautiful instrument was part of a practice that people have been doing for thousands of years? Didn't, I didn't come across that for a long time. You know, a long time. I, yoga uh, was something that came into my life in my early 20s. Um, but uh, before that, I didn't really have the language to speak of it in those terms. But I just knew that when I would play, say, my electric guitar, and I would hit a certain note, and the feedback would come, and it was just, ooh. Or I would begin to think about Jimi Hendrix. Like, I would think about him and what that sound was. And rather than play him note for note, I felt like I could get into his vibe. And suddenly, my strings would bend like his. And um, so those early experiences uh, were, were powerful ones in that when we really are listening, the music can begin to play itself. It really can play itself. We, of course, have to prepare the vehicle with technique and practice. Uh, but much like language, which, of course, <clears throat> it's been often said that music is the universal language. Um, just like our language, we access these words rather effortlessly. Mm -hmm. you know? In the same way, when we prepare our technique, the language of music can show up. And it shows up most easily when the channels are open instead of being constricted by the limitations of labeling. I'm not saying limiting, I'm not saying labeling is bad. I love the knowing the harmonic relationships between chords and notes and et cetera, et cetera. But ultimately the experience kind of goes beyond that. So anybody who's ever labored painfully practicing the piano when they don't feel like it <laughs> understands how constricting music can be. And anybody who's ever lost themselves in a symphony, who's just felt the music go through them or stood in front of a speaker for hours on end and just felt it vibrate, knows exactly what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Yes. What are some experiences that you've had that have shown you the power of music? When I was 19, and this was a few years before yoga, um, I was a student at Cortland College, and Dave Brubeck came to college. And I'd heard of him because I played electric guitar in my high school jazz band. I'd heard the song Take Five, and I kind of knew who he was. <laughs> do, 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 do you want to do it? Yeah, yeah let's do it. Yeah, Take Five, very, very famous recording, of course, and a very beautiful human being. He was coming to Cortland College for a concert, and I saw a poster, workshop lecture with Dave Brubeck and band. And I, at this time, 19 years old with my purple hair, <laughs> I was, I mean, it was 1991, you know, and uh, you know, uh, I'm wearing a fireman's coat. Uh, I'm basically flying my 19-year-old freak flag as far up the pole as I can, right? And I, I, I decide yeah, I'll go get my guitar and my amp, and maybe I can just jam with them. <laughs> maybe they'll let me jam with them. And I went to back to my dorm room, and I got my amp, and I walked in. And this was one of, the, one of the first really big openings in two ways, and I'll try to tell the story succinctly. <clears throat> when I walked in, um, Dave and the band were setting up, and I come in, you know, this kind of young character coming in, and 
and they see me with my guitar and my amp, and the band looks up, and they knew why I was there right away. <laughs> and the rest of the band went, look, Dave, he's got more nerve than you did. <laughs> and he was like, hey, I'm Dave. Hi, I'm Stu. You want to you jam with us? Is that okay? Sure, sure, <laughs> come on in. And it was a very informal, you know, it was a lecture hall kind of, it was a very informal setting. And I plugged in my amp and they began with a blues that was not slow. I would call it glacial tempo. Very spacious. And they began to play. And they said, it's the key of C. You know the blues? Yeah, yeah, I think I can play a blues with you. And something about that, the first breakthrough was that they, they could have very easily said, listen, man, this is our gig. Who are you? Or they could have been very nice about it. No, thank you. They said, yes, they welcomed me in. Sure. And that was a really act of kindness, you know. So we began to play, and Dave was playing this melody on the piano that was, it, to me, it didn't even seem like he was playing a, a melody because the hypnotic feeling of this very slow rhythm and the colorful chords, they were playing chords I'd never heard before as a rocker, you know. And it just kind of got me in this trance where all of a sudden, instead of a melody, it seemed like Dave was just dropping his hand every once in a while on a note. And he would drop his hand on another note, and it made this nice melody. And then they, after the turnaround, uh, they handed me this first solo. And Dave, they handed me the first solo. And you know what I did? I, uh, I just kind of took a deep breath, and I uh, decided to do that same thing that I did in the woods. Didn't really think about it. It's just natural for me. I just played one note. I thought it felt so good, so I did it again. I did it again. But a little bit different. And this one, I can't mimic it without an electric guitar, but it was a really crazy band. But it ended up on the same note. And then I went to the next chord. I decided to stay on the same note. Now, those of you who are listening who are musically trained know that all I was doing was I was pedaling on the one for the first part of my solo. But something happened as I listened to one sound, that thing I said before, the mind has no room for captions when you're just so immersed you know, in the ocean of music. And then I started to get, you know, let me end it a little higher. And I wasn't thinking about scales or frets. And then I went up the neck and I got to the climax of the solo. And then a miracle happened. Dave looked around from the piano and something about what I played made him happy. He went, yeah, man. What? <laughs> I got a yeah, man. It was a sincere one, too, uh, that I would have known as age 19. Anyway, my story is not to say I played the world's greatest blues solo. What happened was, in the next round, the next chorus of blues, was I started to let go more and play more and let go more. And then all of a sudden, I was looking at my hand, and it was like, who's doing that? Whoa, that's kind of interesting. Things were coming out of me that I couldn't have done. Things that I would not have been able to do if I'd practiced them. You know? And then at the core, at the climax of that solo, I did this thing where I just moved my hand, like with all the effort of just 
moving my hand to the side like I'm swatting away a mosquito. Just please, no mosquito, move away. And with that much effort, this perfect, you know, thing came out. It was like I moved my hand through the air and perfect music came out. And it, it was bizarre for me. But at the, I was so in bliss, I didn't really think about it. So that was my first experience of music playing itself. And it really was a taste of the nectar, that nectar that the Sufis talk about, so many traditions talk about, you know, just being immersed in the moment and the right action comes forth automatically. So that's an extraordinary lesson that you learned and one that so many of us seek to emulate in our lives. But there's this real irony about the fact that you can't really try to simply let yourself go in the moment. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. Music is like holding, like the Tao Te Ching talks about, you know, you have to cup your hands gently to hold water. Music is a lot like water in that way. If you squeeze the water, it just goes right out your fingers, right? And, um, and I've experienced that in other performances where everything's flowing. I'm not trying. And then I start to try, and I can sense the connection to the effortlessness. The thread is getting thinner and thinner. Uh-oh, better <laughs> let go again. And with practice, it's a funny thing to put in the words, but one can practice, there are practices, actually methods for training yourself to return to the now with music. And that's what I teach with, with ukulele Zen. And uh, I focus on the ukulele because that's what my audience is largely, but I've played guitar with Sonatam Kar around the world, playing mantra and also with my own gypsy jazz bands and stuff. Um, but so, for me, it matters not the instrument. All sounds, including conversations, birds, uh, cell phone rings, they can be mindfulness bells that bring us back to the here and now. So what is the practice that you teach to let one go? One of my great teachers in life, Mr. David Darling, Grammy-winning cellist and composer who founded Music for People, great organization, musicforpeople.org. And as an organization where you can gather with like-minded, open-minded musicians who improvise in the spirit of not trying to rip, not trying to impress you with my chops or what I can do. It's about being together and overcoming that tendency. Or rather, I should say, making friends with the, with the tendency to need to be recognized. Mm. And, you know, and so the, one of the big practices that David showed me, I'll share three of them briefly. One is what he calls the first mantra. The first mantra is, and I share this in my classes all the time, and it's a way of living. The first mantra. <laughs> That's the first <laughs> mantra, right? And we all have our own unique and authentic way of expressing that, you know? Yep. It's not parroting my <laughs> It's your own. It can, it, can be, it can be on a spectrum from very subtle, just, you know, when you feel good and you, you the inner smile. The Taoists talk about the inner smile, just that you feel lighter. Mm. And it could all the way to the range of guffaw and belly laughter that makes you hurt. <laughs> um, that's the first mantra, to remember to take to, to, that, that the journey is a light one. Um, it's a wonderful way to live and to remember. Not, I've never presented as a contest of, oh, I've failed. I am now taking life seriously. Oh, um, I've failed. No. Just return again. I am of, a, of the persuade of the mindset of you have an infinite amount of redos, right? Just come mm -hmm. all back, you know. Second mantra is to cultivate the wonder, the childlike wonder. <gasps> mm. Wow. Wow. Whoa. 
you know, you see the sunset and you and you just want to pull the car over. And what the second mantra teaches us is what Thai, Thich Nhat Hanh, um, whose Plum Village Buddhist teachings are what I practice daily, are um, you know, present moment, wonderful moment, is one of the Buddhist gathas. So breathing in, I know this is a present, the present moment. Breathing out, this is a wonderful moment. The second, the second mantra teaches us that, wow, there are wonders all around us. Wow. You know, when you think about it, this little piece of tree that's in my lap right now, it can make these, you know, amazing sounds. If you kicked your refrigerator and it did this, <laughs> you know, made that sound, you would call up your, all your friends, you got to check this out. Oh, I can't believe this. But, you know, sometimes with music, we think, oh, what's the big deal? That's just an E7 with a sharp 5. <laughs> you know, again, the labeling can be limiting. <clears throat> not, late, not judging that either. But that's the second mantra. And uh, so those are some techniques. But um, in terms of instrumental technique, I really come back to... Sorry, was there a third mantra? The, no, but the third mantra... Uh, I mean, not, there wasn't a third mantra from David Darling, although in my classes sometimes we something funny or profound comes up and we'll label that as the third or the fourth <laughs> mantra. But it usually comes back to that state of childlike wonder and taking it and being light with it. You were talking about techniques that you use to bring yourself into the moment. So techniques to let go are, um, there is a bit of, you know, perhaps intellectual study just to convince your mind that uh, of this fact, and then there's a practice of it. When we don't try as much in music, when we don't care what we sound like, oh, it, wow. it ends up going a lot better. It really does. Last night, not warmed up at all. I didn't touch my instrument all day, except to teach, which is a different... Um, you know, I'm not running any of my material or anything like that. But I've done this enough where I just trust. I know the music is going to show up. So with enough experience, you can have faith that the music will show up if I don't try. Now, when I'm sitting with some friends, um, or when I felt Dave Brubeck not judging me at all, or sitting with some friends around a fire and we're playing and, you know, everything's flowing. Every note is, is wonderful. And then in a concert, when things are on the line, or maybe somebody sitting in the front row whose opinion one really respects, what happens then? You start caring a lot, and constriction can come in. So it's possible to care about it and be unattached, of course. I'm not suggesting that we don't care, like I don't wish to do well, or I don't want to serve my audience. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is just, you know, cultivating a detachment from the results. So in that sense, I have more important things to think about than whether I played a wrong note. So as I'm playing, you know, a little attitude. But you don't care. Allow the sound to be itself as it is in the moment. Same way I want to be. 
allowed to be myself. So as we accept our sounds, what I share with people is that we're really accepting ourselves. If a person can go and play all the wrong notes and at the end of the performance say, I love myself, that's a powerful place to be. You know, that may seem like a tall order, um, but it is possible you know, to just be unattached from the results. I've had experiences where when I don't care as much, the music just shows up effortlessly. It's a profound lesson. So as somebody who spent many years playing the violin badly and battling with instruments, this instrument to try to get a sound, the idea of just allowing seems so foreign when you want to make something so perfect. The, the violin is the, most, is the worst thing in the world for perfectionism, let me tell you. Um, and your words are so beautiful because they resonate so deeply with every activity in life that when we allow and we give ourselves permission, when we allow ourselves to simply be without judging ourselves, it's amazing what can transform and who can show up. Yes. Yes. And I think there is a, a freedom that comes when we allow ourselves to find our own way into it. I think sometimes instrumental technique can be that, can be difficult because um, it is a difficult <laughs> because there are coordinations and there's choreography of the fingers and gestures that the body has to do that are unfamiliar and need to be learned. But also sometimes the, the way music is shown is a very narrow path. And I understand why there would be um, that path. The bow must be held this way. The violin must be held this way. But if you go to India, they sit with, the, with the, the, the neck of the violin on their ankle, on the top of their feet, and they play. And I played with a brilliant violinist who absolutely, I mean, he is a, just a brilliant improviser. For years, I would just get to play guitar with him. It was great. And he played a very cheap violin with a very short bow. And classical violinists who were professionals, you know, in orchestras would come up after the concerts almost upset. They would be upset with it. Like, how do you play so well and you're using a kitty bow? <laughs> he's just like, I don't really care. He wasn't being disrespectful. He's just going to find his own way into it. And I think that's another thing in, uh, that I teach. And maybe this is where I'm, hope I'm not being too rambly, but you find your own way into it. You know, no one can tell you. There are suggestions. I try to have folks feel a sense of permission to do it your way. You don't have to do it my way. Yes, I'm offering suggestions, but let's try to let go of everything we've ever thought music should be or how it should be learned and just express ourselves. And that's what we get into here. Awesome. On that, could you leave us with the last little tune? I'd be happy to, but I will. Although every sound exists peacefully with every other sound in the universe, I will tune. So what are you going to play for us now? I don't know. Awesome. Yes, I'm gonna I'm gonna um, live what I just talked about, <laughs> and come from no plan, 
And um, so free improvisation doesn't mean noise to me, although I've made a lot of that joyful noise. It means um, being unattached, being free, and then I also am free to play in form. So it'll be a bit of form in the formless. Let's see what happens. I'll uh, try to uh, have a beginning, a middle, and an end in about two and a half minutes. See. Can't wait. mantra is, that's the most beautiful sound I've ever heard. That's not ego. That's not me saying, I'm the greatest. Ah, I just played the most amazing thing. That's the most beautiful sound I've ever heard. No, it's saying that what I choose to, what I chose to do is okay. It's okay <laughs> just to be ourselves. That's the most beautiful sound I've ever heard. Let's appreciate what's here. There's a lot of wonders to be found in the moment. So that's, uh, you know, I could be wrong about all this stuff, but my life feels a lot more peaceful. And uh, that is my goal with music more than anything, is not to be good, but to be at peace. That's really what I wish for myself and for others. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing of yourself. Thank you. And sharing Thank of you your gift of music. Know. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Can you tell us where people can find more about you? Sure. I am on YouTube at Ukulele Zen, where I offer lessons on a weekly basis. And I'm also on uh, my website, stewfuchs.com. That's S-T-U-F-U-C-H-S. Stew with a U, Fuchs with an H. 
and uh, <laughs> and uh, I uh, my calendar and my music to date is up. Awesome. I'm sure there's going to be lots of people flocking to pick up their ukuleles. Please do. The ukulele is a wonderful vehicle because it's an instrument that is uh, very accessible. You know, it's a f pretty affordable. You can get one for 49 bucks. 49 bucks. I mean, it may not be the finest instrument in the world, but it's one to get you going. And it's also an instrument that um, can be taken almost anywhere. You know, taken on the bus. I used to play... Well, as you heard last night, I'm on the bus. I, I play in supermarkets. I play in airport lo airport waiting lobbies and stuff. Um, yeah, so the ukulele is a very accessible way for people to make music part of their daily life. And and does not have to be a path of, I'm going to get a record contract or anything like that. Again, the label of what is success. My goal has always been, I just want to make sounds that make me feel at peace. That's always been my goal. And if I share that with others, then... I've uh, done something meaningful with my life. Thank you for sharing a piece of your piece. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Much love. It's been a real pleasure. Much love. To Thank you. you. That was Stu Fuchs. S-T-U-F-U-C-H-S dot com is where you can find out more about his work or watch him on his Ukulele Zen YouTube. He also has the Ukulele Zen program that runs every year during Arts Week at the Omega Institute. I'm Arielle Garten, one of the founders of Muse, the brain-sensing headband that helps you meditate. It actually tracks your brain during meditation and gives you real-time feedback so you can stay in the moment. You can know when you're wandering, be cued by real feedback from your brain, and help you come back into the present, the here and now. If you'd like to find out more, you can find it at choosemuse.com, and you can use the discount code UNTANGLE15. Till next week, keep your neurons sparkling, your toes tapping, and enjoy the here and now.